Um, in Revelation 22, it talks about Jesus inviting us to come and drink of the living water. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who to, um, who thirsts come and drink of the living water freely. scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus 31, 16, and 17. Wherefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, 
And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Right. Good morning again, everyone. I want to thank everyone for, uh, yeah, happy Sabbath. I want to thank everyone for um, participation in the service thus far. It's always just a blessing to see everyone and your participation. Praise God for our baptisms this summer. It's, it's, uh, it's been a, a wonderful season. Um, our, I do have an announcement that I, I neglected to put in the bulletin. We have... S- I guess it's been quite a while ago now that we did a sunshine band sing-along on a Sabbath afternoon over here at the nursing home. We are on the calendar to do that on September 2nd. So that's the first Sabbath we're together in uh, September. I know it's it's a Labor Day weekend, so if you're out of town, obviously that just doesn't work. But if you're here... uh, Please plan to come and sing along or play an instrument. You can let myself or Emily know uh, if you would like to participate if you're here for that weekend. So put that on your calendar if you're able. Um, we're going to uh, our sermon. We're continuing with our, our sermon series on Sabbath. This is our last sermon that we'll do on this together, um, for now anyway. And uh, I'll go do a quick recap. I'm I'm just going to prepare you all. We are not getting out at noon, um, so I'm just now getting to the pulpit. It is 20 till. Uh, it's going to be a little bit after. I promise it won't be an hour, but it's it's uh, it's going to take me some time. Okay, um, so our first sermon together, we were. I was just establishing the foundation, the baseline of the seventh day Sabbath, and that is something that the Creator. God instituted on the seventh day of creation. The Bible says he worked for six days. He created this earth in six days. And how did he create everything? He spoke. And whenever he spoke, that thing happened. So every time he spoke, that whatever he was speaking into existence, whether it was animals or plants or or the atmosphere, or whatever it was, it happened. And then on the seventh day, he said, this day is different. It is blessed. It is sanctified. It is set apart for a holy use. And it is automatically, because everything else he said happened, we can assume that there is a special blessing, a unique blessing in the Sabbath, that it was set apart for a holy use. And uh, we see it restated in the the Ten Commandments, and God again refers back to creation. He says, you're going to observe and honor the Sabbath because it's, I worked, I am the creator, I worked for six literal days, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. He always hearkens back to creation as his authority. He's the creator. He made everything, okay? So he's the one who gets to say what something is for, what it's not for. As I said before, The Bible begins with creation because that's what gives God the authority to say anything after that. Whether it's he's outlining what moral behavior is, immoral behavior, what something is for, what it's a clean animal, what's an unclean animal, what what a day is for, what it's not for. He's the one, because he made it, that's what gives him the authority to say what it's for. Okay, And so that's what we were highlighting and how the seventh-day Sabbath didn't go anywhere in the Bible. It's a holy day because the Creator said it was a holy day. It's not changed. And so Jesus came. We see it in His life. 
that it was his custom to go in the synagogue on Sabbath. We see it in the commandments. We see it in the New Testament church where the Gentiles are begging for these words. And in Acts chapter 13, they're begging, please teach us these words next Sabbath. And so, so on and so forth. Acts 13, 14, 15, we see many references in the New Testament to it. We see it in Revelation that the people at the end of time, God's people at the end of time, will be keeping the commandments of God and they will have the faith of Jesus Christ. And then we saw in Isaiah 66 that it will continue into the new heaven and the new earth. The seventh day Sabbath is not going anywhere. And I was establishing that baseline because my next sermon, the following one, part two, was about how the, another layer of Sabbath, peeling back the layers of Sabbath, represents, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 4, that it represents us ceasing from our works, and those who have ceased from their works are resting in Christ. So those who are, who are followers of Jesus Christ, they have ceased from their works as God did from his. So it's a representation of us ceasing from our carnal sinful works. The same author, Paul, in Galatians chapter 5, outlined what the works of the flesh was, and we are ceasing from that, and we are working works of righteousness. That's what we were designed for. We were created to reflect the Almighty God. We were created to reflect the Creator. All of this point, the Sabbath is what points us back to where we came from. And um, so us ceasing from our works, we're no longer used for unholy purposes, but for a sanctified use, for a holy use. That's what the Sabbath is about. That's what it's pointing us to. And as we observe it, there's a holy sanctifying influence in it that changes us from the inside out. And that's what last sermon was about. This one is going to be about how it's a sign between us and God, as um, Bob was reading in Exodus 31. Let's go ahead and pray together, and we'll get into our sermon. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your many blessings. Thank you for everything that it means to us. And Lord, we just pray that as we go through this other uh, tying some things together in our last sermon on Sabbath, part three. I just pray for your presence to please be with us, that you would speak to us, um, Lord, that you would, uh, the words that are spoken today, that they would come directly from your throne, Lord, and that they would spring up and bear fruit in our lives, and that we could be used, Lord, by you for a holy purpose, for a sanctified use, that we no longer operate according to the way of this world, but according to righteousness, as we find it in Jesus. As we rest in him, we work his works. Please be with us just now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin there in Exodus chapter 31. Exodus 31, if you're not already there. The Sabbath, there's so many layers to Sabbath. It's pointing to our current rest, but that current rest is pointing to the future eternal rest that we're looking forward to. There's a lot there. It's a wonderful thing. All right. We are beginning uh, Exodus 31. I am going to begin, actually, in verse 12. And I'll read down to the bottom where Bob had been reading. Exodus 31, verse 12. And it begins, I'll begin reading. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath. 
Therefore, for it is a holy to you, everyone who profanes it surely shall be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and he was refreshed. And he made an end to speaking with him on Sinai, and he gave the two tablets of the testimony. All right. So verse 13, immediately this is a verse that someone in Christianity today would say, see, this is a sign between God and Israel only. It doesn't have any sort of bearing after that. Um, and so, 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 so some folks use that as this is just a sign between God and Israel. But there's a few issues with that. What does God always point to? Again, in this text, in the commandments, in the creative story, in the creation story, what does God point to as his reason being for keeping it? What's the reason? Why? I heard it. Creation, right? He points back to creation. He says, for in six days, the Lord, the Lord made everything, and he made it as a, the, the seventh day as a Sabbath day of rest. That's always his authoritative source. So was, does this, is, is, is God the creator of the Jewish people only? No. The Jewish people were given the oracles of God to share with the world that there's a creator that we need to worship. That's why it was given to them. They're not they're special in the sense that they were, God trusted them with these oracles to share it, and that we all as human beings, we were created by God for a holy use, but it doesn't mean that it, it's just limited to them. Okay? It was through the nation of Israel that God was trying to reveal himself to humanity. It's not about the fact, but did they do their job? They, they failed, they continuously failed to do that, and they continuously were just trying to, like, kind of separate themselves from the world as we are holy, sanctified people, so we don't want to interact with the world at all. And so they, they did that for 1,500 years, and eventually God, you know, just through Jesus, through the New Testament church, the gospel was able to go out. Um, there was an end to that, that kind of dispensation, so to speak. Um, and so he goes on. They were, the, they, were the, they were the chosen people because if you go back to Abraham, who's the, the father of the Hebrew nation, the Bible says that he believed God and it was count, he believed God, he acted on what God asked him to do, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And, and Paul tells us later on, he says, anybody who does that, anybody who believes God and acts on what God says, they're engrafted branches into the faith of Abraham. Because Abraham's faith, through his faith, resulted in works. James tells us that faith without works is dead. He said, I will show you my faith by what I do. That's what Abraham did. He believed God, and his belief in what God asked him to do resulted in an action. It wasn't just a mental ascent, like, oh yeah, I believe there's a God out there, but my life in no way reflects a relationship with God. 
That's what Abraham showed us, is that his faith resulted in an action because he had the Spirit of God in him. Anybody who has the Spirit of God in them, who through faith and in response to that works happen in their life, they're a child of Abraham according to the Apostle Paul. So this promise or this, this covenant of the, the, the Sabbath being included in the, in the Ten Commandments, this is a baseline standard of moral behavior for all human beings that he was trying to share with the world. This is who I am. And anybody who wants to be my kingdom, this is the foundation. This is the rule for my kingdom. And it's a law of love. Law of love to God and a law of love to the people around us. Israel was God's chosen people because Abraham listened to God's voice, believed God, and obeyed him. Sabbath is a sign between the people of God and their creator that he is the one who sanctifies them. We are going to our creator for our sanctification. We are going to our creator and redeemer for our righteousness. We're not depending on ourselves. We're not depending on our own works. We are ceasing from our works, and we are working works of righteousness, which we only get that inspiration because of the righteousness of God. We don't have it within ourselves. Our behavior, our, our carnal nature is corrupt. Um, and this is just, I'm just touching on this briefly about the, the whole Jewish sect only. It doesn't make any sense because the goal of God was that through the Jewish people, he entrusted them, the oracles of God, that the, the whole world would know that we were made by God for a holy use. And the Sabbath is what points us to that. Okay? Somehow, he is the creator, okay? He spoke and said the seventh day is holy. He sanctified it. By faith, we believe what God said, and we respond accordingly. Okay? That's the faith of Abraham right there. We believe what God said. Somehow, there is a sanctifying influence in the day. Somehow, because of the blessing of God, the presence of God, he is working out his will in our lives as we yield ourselves to what he's asking us to do. Okay? There's a sanctifying influence in that that we don't understand. Just like we don't understand the growth of a plant. We don't understand how that happens. We put a seed in the ground, and all of a sudden it starts growing. As we respond to God's will in our life, as we respond to what he's asking us to do, there is a growth, a sanctifying influence in our life that we can't calculate or understand. We just know that in five years, I'm not the same person that I was five or ten years ago. God is doing a work in my life. I'm just growing. And I'm, it's happening because I'm, a, I'm absorbing the nutrients. I'm absorbing what God has given to me. I'm absorbing the sunlight. I'm absorbing his word. I'm spending time with him in prayer. And as a result, I'm growing. That's all that I can say. He is doing the work. He is doing the sanctifying influence. And I am depending on him for that. To be sanctified means that we, the Sabbath is set apart for a holy use, And as we yield our lives to God, and as we cease from our works, as we repent from the works of the flesh, we are being used. God wants to use us for a sanctifying work, for a sanctified sanctified works in this world. We ourselves are set apart for a holy use. 
God told them in Exodus chapter 20, he says, I am the Lord who redeemed you. I redeemed you from the, the sin of slavery. I, re, I redeemed you from slavery from Egypt. Okay? God, when God redeemed Israel from Egypt, Egypt was a symbol of sin for us. Obviously, we have not been redeemed from Egypt. But God, through Egypt, he completely broke the back of that nation. And it was, it's a representative of his total destruction of sin, okay, and his redemptive ability. He destroyed Egypt economically. He destroyed their crops. He destroyed their animals. He destroyed, he destroyed their military. He destroyed everything about them. Everything that made them prosperous, he destroyed it. And that, for us, is a symbol of God's complete destruction of sin and how he wants to redeem us. And through Jesus, he totally destroyed the effect of sin and its ability, its, and, and the, the effect of sin, which is death. He destroyed that. Um, God tells them in this text, in Exodus chapter 31, he says, it's a sign between you and I that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, okay? It's a sign that we worship the Creator. There's an opposing, there's, an, there's other choices out there for us to, to worship on. Other days. There's other holy days that the Christian world tells us is a holy day. But the Sabbath specifically is a sign that we worship the God who made everything. We worship the Creator, and we're depending on him for our sanctification, not on ourselves, not on our own works. We're ceasing from our works, and we are depending on the creator as our redeemer as well. And he is telling us that when we worship him only in the Ten Commandments, we don't, we don't worship other gods. We don't, we don't bow down to graven images. He says, when you have my spirit within you, you're not, going to, you're not going to do these other things. You're not going to worship false gods. The Ten Commandments are just a basic outflow. He's, they're more like ten promises of what and who you will be when in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're responding to conviction in your life, you're not going to, you're not going to do those unholy works anymore. You're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to steal. You're not going to lie because you have the spirit of truth within you. And as you respond to his spirit in your life, it leads to works of righteousness, works of love, the works that God wanted us to, wanted us to do in the first place. And as we highlighted last time, I'm, com- I'm combining several texts. And so if you haven't heard the first two, listen to the first two, and I'm kind of wrapping things up in this one. So we we talked about Isaiah 58 last time, how that is representative of the spirit of the law, and the Sabbath is included in that, and that we're no longer doing uh, the sinful works of the flesh, but we're working works of righteousness. In Isaiah Isaiah 58, it was highlighting for us the, the humanitarian works of God, okay? The love of God for humanity, the breaking of the yoke, the setting the captives free, all of those things we talked about in that sermon. Let's continue on. We're getting there. All right. Now, I don't know about you, but two times in this, God mentions a death penalty in Exodus 31 for all who break the Sabbath. That seems pretty harsh, right? It seems pretty, pretty extreme. What have these people thus far in their journey with God, what have they seen? 
by the time we get to Exodus 31, what have these people seen God do? They watched the plagues fall on the Egyptians and not on them. They watched the plagues fall on the Egyptian cattle and not on their cattle. They, they watched the destroyer angel go through and they did what God asked them to do. They put the blood over the door. They put the blood of the lamb over the door of their threshold and they saw that the destroying angel destroyed the firstborn in Egypt. They saw God deliver them and, and how he led them out of Egypt, pillar of fire by, by night, cloud by day. Okay? They watch the Red Sea part and they go through and they watch the, that same Red Sea destroy the entire Egyptian army. Okay? They see, they've, they've seen God in the Ten Commandments. They've seen, they've experienced so many amazing miracles. In Numbers chapter, what happens to a sinner in the presence of a holy God? What happens to them? They're consumed. And Numbers chapter 11 actually highlights that. You've got God in your presence. Like he is there. His, his pillar of cloud is there. And there were people in Numbers chapter 11, it says that they were complaining against God. And the Bible says that fire broke out among the camp. Because what happens to a sinner, open, high-handed rebellion in the face of God, what happens to them? They're consumed, right? That's the automatic result. And so this, what more in this situation with the Sabbath, with all that these people have seen, what more could God show them? What more signs? What else could they see that would give evidence like, I need to respect this God? There's nothing more. What else can he do? One more sign isn't going to prove it to them. And so at this point, it is just high-handed rebellion in the face of God. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. Okay? And there is nothing left for you at that point. There's no, there's no more like, oh, well, if he had only seen one more sign, he probably wouldn't have done that. No. Okay? This is high-handed rebellion in the face of God, in the presence of God. But it's also a symbol for us, too. What happens when we're depending, ultimately, what happens when we're depending on our own works? In the, end of, in the end of it all, if we're depending on our own works, we're working our own works, and we're not working works of righteousness. What happens? You're eternally lost, okay? So it's symbolic of that as well, that if we persist in our own works, our own carnal works of rebellion against God, which is what this was, rebellion against what God asked them to do, if we persist in our own rebellious nature against God, the, the inevitable end result is eternally lost. What more could God show this person? What more could he show them at this point in time? They've seen a lot. The Bible says that it's a sign between us and him that we are honoring the day that the creator said to, and we're depending on him for our sustenance, because we cease from our actual physical work. We're depending on him for our sanctification. We're depending on him for everything. For our righteousness, we're not depending on ourselves for any of those things. The Sabbath is a sign between us and God. The Sabbath is showing us how about holy living. I'm going to highlight one of our church members. I won't mention his name. He said when he first came into the church, this is a perfect example of the sanctifying influence of Sabbath. 
when he first came into the church, he decided he wasn't going to listen to secular music on Sabbath. Okay? And then after so many weeks of doing this, he said, wait, if I'm not listening to it on Sabbath because it's a holy day, I probably shouldn't be listening to it the other days of the week either. That's an example of the sanctifying influence of the Sabbath, that it is teaching us, it's a perpetual reminder that it's teaching us about holy living. It's teaching us about works of righteousness, that we do the right things. And eventually, it just spreads into every day of our lives. Okay, That's the sanctifying influence and the sanctifying nature of the Sabbath. Jesus told us that the Sabbath was made for man, not the other way around. It was made for mankind. It's a very broad word that he's talking about there. It's a sign between us and him that we honor him as our creator and as our redeemer. We're choosing him. We're choosing his works of righteousness. We're saying he's the one sanctifying me, not me sanctifying myself. Set apart for a holy use. All right. Throughout Israel's history as a nation, there were many times, if you've read the Old Testament at all, that they would veer off track and they would follow the gods of the other nations, right? And God would plead with them. He would say, why are you worshiping these things that you made? I am the creator. I made all that stuff. Why are you doing that? And so God would send a prophet and say, we need to return back to the worship of the creator. We need to return back to true worship, okay? And this is not, I'm going to highlight something for you here. This is not out of just narcissistic, selfish ambition that God is doing this, okay? Listen to what he says. You go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28. You go back to 26, 28, 20, somewhere in that ballpark. It's 28, I believe, where God is highlighting, outlining the blessings and curses for Israel. He's saying, if you follow me, if you choose me as your God, you'll be blessed. Your field, your crops will be blessed. Your, 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 your animals, their wombs will produce more animals for you. And the same for your women. Like you will be a prolific nation. You'll be a blessed nation. And he's highlighting that if you follow me, you'll be blessed. He says, but if you don't, you'll be cursed. He says, this is what's happened. If you worship these other gods, if you worship the gods of the other nations, you'll be cursed as a result. This is what's happened. Your field won't produce. This, that, the other thing. If you, you can read all the blessings and curses there. What is God saying? Is he saying, is it an ultimatum? That if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. This is what God is telling them. He's saying, I am the creator. I am the life giver. If you separate yourself from me, this is the inevitable result. If you choose this other God, this is what he's going to do to you. If you choose this other God, if you choose to worship Satan, he's not going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to lie, and he's go- just like when Israel wanted their own king. He's like, you can have your own king, but this is what's going to happen. This is what he's going to do to you. And God is openly, he is very transparent And so what he's telling Israel, he says, if you choose to worship these other gods, you're going to be cursed. And I am only telling you this because that God that you're worshiping, Satan, he's not going to tell you. So I am going to tell you that Satan always seeks to make sin seem fun. 
You watch any television program, the drinking, the nightlife, the drugs, the one-night stands, that's like a fun thing in the eyes of the world. It's not actually like that. It makes for miserable relationships, miserable families that don't even exist any, like half the time in that situation. You feel miserable. It's not actually fun. So God is just highlighting. He says, I am the life giver. Choose me. I want to give you an abundant life. That other God, he's only going to give you the worst. You're not going to be blessed in following him. And the God, Jesus said, he said, I came to give you a more abundant life. And that's what God is pleading with them. Choose me. I am the life giver. But if you cut yourself off from me, the life giver, the only inevitable result of that is death, sin and death. So please, I want to bless you. I want you to have a good life. God is pleading with his people all throughout human history. I am the creator. I made everything. And I want you to have a blessed life. I want you to have eternal life with me. Please choose me. Your life will be better as a result. You can go the other way if you want to, but this is the result of sin. It's death. It's eternal separation. God is very transparent. He tells them straight out, this is, these are the paths that you have. And if you choose me, the life giver, I will give you a more abundant life. There is this principle built into all of this that we just become like whatever we worship. And so when we worship the creator, he blesses us. He's, he gives us this sanctifying influence, his sanctifying influence in our lives. What are the false gods of our day? What do we choose to worship other than God? The idols of stone or the idols of wood? Sorry? Technology's one. Anything that we are putting that we are putting in the place of God. Anything that we are spending way more time with than God. Okay? Anything that we it could be anything. It can be it could be money, it can be whatever. Um, you can tell a lot about yourself, okay? We all have to work. That absorbs a lot of our time, okay? We have to have some sort of, we got to have family time, and we've got to have some sort of recreational time. It's good for our mind. But in our free time, what are you spending your time, your money, and your energy and your attention doing? That tells you who your God is, okay? It can be ourselves, it can be a lot of different things. What am I spending my time, my money, and my energy doing or work? Is it to bless others? Is it to, is it to uh, Lord, I want to be a blessing to somebody today. Help me. Help me in my daily life. Help me at work to be a blessing to somebody. Help me to, to be a witness, to be a light. Help me, to, Lord, teach me how to, I want to I be able to give Bible studies. Like, is that your motivation in life? And obviously, you've got to have time for all of the above. So you can't just, you've got to have time for family. You've got to have recreation time. It's good for your brain. But is there a place in your life where God is the superseding force, where he is working in you and through you in all those other avenues? Is he working through you at work? Is he working through you in your leisure time? And is there just specific time that you are just dedicating to him as your God? Are you being obedient to him? Who are you obeying in your life? That's who your God is. 
you know, Jesus pleaded with the people. He said, why do you call me Lord? You don't even do the things that I say to do. I'm not your Lord if you don't do what I ask you to do. That's what he's saying, okay? Um, So who are we being obedient to? Abraham was uh, the father of our faith because he believed God and he obeyed. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul? If so, how is it reflected in your life? That's a good question for all of us. Throughout human history, God has been pleading with humanity to turn back to himself. And at the end of time, he is doing, he's making the same call. It's the same call that he's been giving all throughout human history. Turn there, it's our, it's our call to worship, Revelation chapter 14. This is the final call. This is the final call to humanity, and I want you to listen to the language and see if you notice anything similar to what we've been studying for the last, our last three sermons together, last two sermons. Revelation chapter 14. We'll be wrapping up here in a minute. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. This is the last call. This is the, the, the final call to humanity. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell in the earth, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and sea, and springs of water. What is the sign between the Creator and His people that we worship Him who made everything? What's the sign? What's the sign that He's told us throughout the Bible? Sabbath. The call at the end of time is to back to worshiping the Creator. Worship the Creator God. He made everything. He's, he wants to save you. He died to redeem you. And the sign is this. Worship in the way that He prescribed. Worship on the day that He prescribed. If you're obedient to Him, it shows that you're, you have faith in what He says. That He created this earth in six literal days and on the seventh day He rested. And He blessed it and He set it apart for a sanctified holy use. When we do, if we're obedient to him, he's our Lord. And if we don't, the the problem is, is we're dealing with a carnal nature that doesn't want anything to do with God. And so we've got to pray through all that as well. Lord, help me to want to do the things that you want me to do. Lord, help me to be obedient. Please put your spirit within me. I'm claiming the new covenant promise in Ezekiel 36 and 26 and 27 that he was going to put his spirit within me and cause me to do his will. I'm, I'm depending on that, Lord. That's what faith is. We're expecting the word of God to do what he said it would do in our own lives. He's again hearkening back to creation. Worship the creator. This is the same call. The everlasting gospel is just the fact that our creator who made us was willing to die to save us and make a way for us to have eternal life once again. That's the everlasting gospel. It's the same gospel. The same creator who made us died to save us and he wants to restore eternal life to the human race once again. 
That's the gospel, the good news of Jesus coming, that Jesus' kingdom that is going to be an, a kingdom of righteousness and an eternal kingdom. The result of following Jesus is a sanctified life, a life that is dedicated to God and reflecting his character. Why would the devil, throughout all these years, why would the devil seek to distract humanity away from this call, this to uh, distract people away from the worship of their creator. Why? Why would he do? Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. I already gave it away. I already gave away the question. I already gave away the answer to my question. So let's see if you were listening this late in the sermon. Why would the devil distract people away from the fourth commandment? He wants to be worshipped. Yes, that's one. Because it's the one commandment that points us back to where we came from. It's the one commandment that points us back to our creator that we need to worship him and him only. If you take that out, that, 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 that Sabbath commandment points us back to the fact that we came from a creator, a holy God, and we were designed to reflect his character, his righteousness. He wants to live in us and through us to give us that ability. We were designed and created to reflect him. Okay? If you take that out, you can, you can just, you know, you can, you're diverting attention away from the only source that can actually help us. That's our creator, the one who made us, the one who redeemed us. If you can turn people away from that aspect, then you turn people away from the only source that can help us. The one who made us, the one who died to save us. It is God who works in us, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. As we talked about last time, it is no longer I who live, but Christ is living in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My job is to choose him every day, to dedicate my life to him every day. Lord, thank you so much for waking me up this morning. Please come into my heart and my mind. Help me. Use me today to be a light for you, to be a witness for you, to be a sanctifying influence on this sinful, wicked planet. Help me to be a light for your character. The Sabbath rest comes in many forms, and it affects us in many ways, in ways that we don't even understand or comprehend right now. But we will continue to learn throughout the ages, ceaseless ages of eternity. I don't know about you, but I want to experience all the peace and all the rest that God wants to give me in my life. I don't know about you, I want to experience his presence in my life. I want to experience his peace, his rest in a chaotic world. Is that your desire today? To worship the creator. And not only to worship him, but to call others to be a part of that loud cry that calls people to the worship of the Creator and to experience all the blessings that He promised to His people that would come with worshiping Him. If that's your desire today, I invite you to pray with me as we close. Kind Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your many blessings. Thank you so much for always being with us. Thank you so much for preserving your word for us. In spite of all the enemy's attempts to destroy it, to get rid of it, 
Lord, you, you were able to preserve it through people, Lord, who loved you more than their own lives. Lord, give us that same dedication in our hearts and our minds that we would rather, we would rather die than sin against you. Lord, give us that, that peace now in knowing that we are worshiping you. Get, fill us with your presence. Lord, help us to experience um, the peace, the love, the joy that you want to afford to us and help us to be obedient to your word. We need you, dear God. Please continue to transform us, mold us, and shape us into your image. Help us to be a reflection of your character as you designed, originally designed for us to be. We love you, Lord. Please use us in a mighty way in our sphere of influence. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.